The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Well, last night I had a very odd dream. Yeah, I would think that most of your dreams are odd. Well, I was in this oldie-woldy ballroom, surrounded by men. No, don't tell me. They all look like David Mitchell. No, they all had sausage rolls for heads. Welcome to episode 50 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish Retreat catch-up podcast that wishes it knew about the mass exodus of characters from the show this week before the annual podcast hosting renewal notice had been taken care of. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm sorry I was mid-sip. You were mid-sip. I saw you pick it up and think, that's pretty brave. You have no idea how long my intro is going to be. Yeah, but they t- they've been getting longer and longer <laughs> lately. So, oh well. So that was quite interesting, Corey, news this week. You know... Everybody's leaving. I kind of feel like it's being f- framed by certain media outlets as oh, absolutely. this mass exodus. Absolutely. People come and go from soaps all the time. It's it's not the end of the world. Oh, good. Yeah, good God, no. But it's kind of like a um, ministerial... Uh, resignations from cabinet is kind of how it came out that everyone was just another right another nail in the coffin of the the government sort of thing right because we had uh, Liam Barstow who plays Alex it's not leaving well that wasn't what he said to start with and then Faye Brooks who plays Kate Katie no, McGlynn who plays Sinead Tristan Gemmell who plays Robert Lucy Fallon who plays Bethany they all announced that they were leaving the show and add into this Kim Marsh who plays Michelle who announced a few weeks ago that she was going to leave, and Bavna... It was a uh, number of months at Michelle. It was a month ago? Yeah. And Bavna Limbaccia, who actually has left, along mm-hmm. with Connie Hyde, who plays Jenna, who may have been written out rather than just choosing to leave. That's eight characters that are out of here. And I think that's enough to be described as the next. Although you're right, Liam, Liam later, later said yep, that he was that misunderstood and he just finished filming. Right. And we'd be back. Right. And Lucy said that she made her decision last August, while the showrunner Ian McLeod said it was at the start of the year when he found out and it was leaked this week to make a bigger story. She said she would have liked to have announced this herself, but she had eight or nine months to do that. Anything going on, do you think? <sighs> They're trying to make it out like it's a crisis. Right, and like it's like everybody hates Ian. Yeah. Which I don't think is true. I don't think he's been on long enough for us to hate him. And I, I honestly haven't noticed that much of a difference in the transition <laughs> it's totally still the same show there are good weeks and there are bad weeks there are awful storylines and there are good storylines things happen that you absolutely believe could happen things happen that would never happen in a million years <laughs> so it is what it is we'll still keep doing the podcast regardless so that 120 bucks is safe then 
120 bucks. Well, it costs 120 bucks to host this a year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's why I keep saying we should start a Patreon page. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And I'm like, yeah, I'll get around to it eventually. Or, or some merch. You were going to yeah. come up with a merch store, weren't you? Yeah. That sounded quite interesting. I'm, I'm still planning on some some Corey podcast merch in the future. I'm not really myself at the moment. Yeah. So in the summertime, I think, is is, uh, is a good time for projects like that when we're down two children and we have all the time in the world and only need to worry about the dog getting fed on a daily basis. <laughs> yep. So the more eagle-eyed of our listenership will have noticed that this episode of The Talk of the Street is a bit on the long side. Yeah, it is. We have some special bonus content this week to celebrate our 50th episode, which explains why this one is coming in probably a little over two hours, but may- maybe around about two hours. I, don't know. I think Oofed. we might be quite short with the rest of the stuff, but it's a little bit long anyway. Mm-hmm. Because last Saturday, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Glenda Young, the editor and founder of the Coronation Street blog, and I recorded it so it could be replayed later here Ooh. in the format of an interview. Well... It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever interviewed anyone before. Haven't you? I don't think so. Well, I've interviewed people for jobs, but... Kind of the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all, no. (laughs) No, and while you were doing that, I was at the state capitol singing Girl Scout songs with a whole bunch of other Girl Scouts. Yeah, it was a shame you missed it. Yeah, I think I had fun. Well, good. So I'm going to stick the interview at the end... Uh, after we cover the events of this week so probably look to if you want to skip to it just knock 40 minutes off the running time and it'll probably round about there Uh shall we preamble my dear sure our mailbag john wrote on our facebook page a big improvement this week a toned down Gemma is so much better and even paul was good agreed what do you mean even paul was good (laughs) paul is always good He's my favourite gay of the show. I so agree about Gemma, though. Absolutely. And and this this week continues it. This it is This is the stuff. It, it's, it's good when you give her something substantial to, to throw in the face of all the people when she's got garbage to deal with. Says, oh, well, she's not a very good actor and that's not a very good role. Blah, 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 blah. No, well, it is. She's and a great this actor. This is proof. Yeah. She's so great. shut up. <laughs> he continues, El Kirko was hilarious. At last, Kirk's humour was being used well. And he thinks he can see where Alina's storyline is going. Just hope it's not a two-week wonder like Sean's homelessness. I'm not a fan of Simon, but that was one powerful scene with him and Peter and Whiskey. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I wondered who had phoned the police about Peter going to look for Carla at the squat and glad they revealed who it was. Miserable Kate. I should have bloody guessed. then we got uh correspondence from somebody called bertha our first time correspondent she's getting a bit tired of kate moaning and carla needs to go she's tiring michelle changes boyfriends like changing socks does she (laughs) does does her feet get involved in any way i'm not sure she's so angry with robert for a long time now and then before that was steve for a long time what up bertha (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what show are you watching? She's so angry all the time, she and Carla need to go or at least leave for a little while. Well, at least half of that is probably going to come true. And Carla's 
not really in it right now. No. Do you keep... Hmm. I'm going to keep this for later. I have something to say about that. Ooh. And then Moira wrote in, she's a little bit harder to please than the other two. So glad I don't watch this anymore. It must be 10 years now. <laughs> so why take a minute to pick out a few words Well, because it probably just Facebook page? came through on her Facebook feed or something. Which means that it's she's still probably a good likes Coronation Street then. Well, who knows what the almighty algorithm decides you like or dislike. It could be that she likes EastEnders and the FB algorithm says, oh, well, British soap operas. Here's another one. Blah, 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 blah. How does it go? <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Oh, that's what I thought you said. Because, I mean, sometimes we get people who are EastEnders fans who follow our Twitter but yeah. don't really watch Corey or are interested in Corey. So, yeah. But it's a good thing. That Moira doesn't watch because I don't think she'd appreciate her name being drugged through the mud <laughs> with the Moira on the show, who's just the worst. Do you think she's the worst? I just, I can't, I have, she's one of those things that I have to get up and leave the room. Oh, well, I think she's funny. Because I don't think she's funny at all. I think she's horrible. Oh, she's a horrible character, yeah. I, I just it makes me uncomfortable watching her on screen. Interesting. Ugh. What are you drinking? Uh, I have a lovely kombucha that you brought me because you love me. It's the gingerade. And then I have an angry orchard hard cider rose. Oh. We had hard cider in the house? I bought it last night. Oh. On my way back from the subcommittee meeting. Oh, nice one. And I also got myself a caramello, but that's gone. That's becoming a habit. Kind of is. <laughs> we recorded a common language podcast probably three weeks ago now on chocolate, where I ate American chocolate for the first time. Yeah. And one of them was a cam- camarello? Caramello. Car- caramello. And that seems to have awoken <laughs> something of a beast. It was the best thing out it of was. the three. I enjoyed it. That we, that, we, that we tried, even though our friend Steve... Seems to think they're not good. But then the picture that he showed was like an actual bar that said Caramello. It wasn't like the, the little bar yeah. that we get. For UK listeners, it's the equivalent of a Cadbury's Caramel bar. Yeah. Send us British chocolate, please. Oh, my friend Steve has done that. Yes, I know. He's <laughs> my he's my new favorite person <laughs> on the planet. Steve from Birmingham. Yay. Hi, Steve. Is that, is that our Steve who did the... Um, who did our... Our pictures. Who did our pictures? Who did our the talk of the street in a common language? I did them. Didn't he help? No. He did something, didn't he? He did SpongeBob. Oh, he did the SpongeBob one. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. He tried. He sent. He sent. Oh yeah, he, he was going to do them differently. Right. Yeah. But I was so tied into the common language one, which I yeah. think is the best thing I've ever done. In it's that it's kind really of, brill. I like it. The talk of the street. I could. Take or I leave. like the talk of the street one too. So what you drinking? Diet Verners. Two cans. Well, one was from one, d- doing SpongeBob. One for each fist. You're a two-handed Diet Verners drinker. Double barrel Verners, yeah. <laughs> Living dangerously. Oofed. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first story is about Peter, which was on Monday, just on Monday. Leanne is battering on Peter's door. It seems that she's found out that Peter's been hitting the bottle again and demands to see Simon, but Simon's already at school, and Ken insists that Simon's fine. 
Leanne reluctantly accepts this, and inside, Peter is on the couch, staring into space. And it's just Ken acting like Leanne has no right to say anything yeah. about what's going on with her son. It's just... Ah! Psh, psh, psh. Ken's out the back, throwing away the booze bottles. He's talking with Peter in the house, but isn't getting a response. Ken spots Peter's phone outside on the windowsill, because that's where he charges it. Anyway, and Ken accesses... Just was accidentally left there. And Ken accesses Peter's contacts and gives his sponsor, Howard, a call. And he knows it's his sponsor because it's labelled right there. Sponsor. Yeah, it's either his sponsor or Howard's last name is sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Peter takes the anonymous part of Alcoholics Anonymous very seriously. <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. So Peter has brought Ken to the AA meeting. Uh, Peter introduces himself. Peter is an alcoholic. Hello, Peter, says Ken. <laughs> Peter explains about falling off the wagon after four years, seven months, 28 days, and Ken explains about Carla going missing. And then Peter introduces everyone to Ken, who is quick to insist that he isn't an alcoholic. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Peter wonders if he was just looking for an excuse and says it was Simon who got him to stop. The leader says his recovery is the most important thing, not how much he drank, but he needs to start the 12 steps again. Peter loves him some 12 steps. Well, it's true. You have to start that makes sense. from step one. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. This is not how AA meetings typically go. <laughs> All the crosstalk and the, you know. The Ken interrupting. Ken interrupting and spouting off and stuff. Yeah, that's. Get yourselves to a real <laughs> AA meeting there, Corey writers. But then again, everybody gets it wrong. Everybody gets it wrong. It's one of my pet peeves. You know how certain journalists, it's a pet peeve of how um, journalism is portrayed in movies and stuff. Yeah. Mine is AA. Yeah. Doctor and procedurals are also frequently got wrong and police procedurals as well procedurals procedurals yeah something (laughs) so specific cop shows cop shows yeah back home Leanne pounces on Peter and gives him the riot act Tracy appears and calls Leanne an ex-prosy on the warpath that's nice yeah Leanne tells her about Peter's fall from grace and Tracy actually looks concerned at another human being and when Leanne gets all high and mighty Tracy reveals that everyone suspects Nick of pulling the insurance job with the factory roof. Yes, go fuck yourself, Leanne. Pretty much. Peter's not in the mood for a fight and he just agrees with all of Leanne's accusations. Then at home, Ken and Peter are doing an autopsy on the situation and Leanne's reaction. Ken calls her super protective of Simon and Peter shouldn't put too much stock into her words. Ken is about to nip out to get something for dinner but Peter reveals that he's terrified to be left alone. He will drink if he's left alone and Mm -hmm. he begs Ken not to leave. That was pretty powerful stuff. Yes. Very good. He also admits that Leanne is totally right. Yeah. Yeah. So get it right up, you Ken. (laughs) Ken reminds him that he's beat the addiction before. He can do it again. And Ken's not going to let him hit the bottle. Mm. There's a knock at the door and it's Claudia. Ken says, this isn't a good time. Something's come up. She sees, she comes in anyway, and she sees Peter in an emotional state and wonders what's wrong. Ken says he's ill and they need to do something about it. So later on, Peter is seeing Dr. Gadas and admits that he's desperate for a drink and knows it could kill him. He needs help. Ken says this can't wait. Dr. Gadas says that he'll have to go private then and it's going to cost between five and fifteen grand a week. Yeah, depending upon the place. Oofed. 
That sounds really cheap. Does it really? Yeah. Yeah, but Americans just milk it for all it's worth, don't they? Sometimes. Oh, pretty much all the time. Yeah. Then back at number one, Claudia knew someone who went to a clinic like that and it saved his life. Claudia is prepared to help financially. Consider it a loan, she says. Oh, I'm starting to melt towards Claudia again, even though I have started to despise everything but her hair lately. She's like the Iron Bank. She is. She's just the bank of Claudia. She's, just she's the Iron Bank. <laughs> of Weatherfield. Oh, jeez. I'm going to I'm going to think of her as the Iron Bank from now on. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and it helps that she's so fabulous as well. Right, yes. What did you think of the Game of the Thrones this week? It was too dark. It was too dark. And too many stupid things happened, I think. No. Name one stupid thing. The Dothraki just storming off into blind darkness on their horses. That's what Dothraki do, though. It was totally Dothraki. But for all they knew, <laughs> the fight walkers could have been over there. They had no idea where they were. They just <laughs> I'm trying char- to imagine it that, and now it's making me laugh, and that hurts. <laughs> like, oh! Huh? <laughs> and then they turn around, and the, the whites are all, like, attacking. Wah, wah. <laughs> We were over here. Ha ha. Yeah. That All right, okay. Okay, I'll give you that. Rehab? Asks Johnny. Oh, God. Sitting on the toilet. <laughs> Stop it. Because he's over because somebody phoned him to go over and uh, hang out with number one for some reason. Peter explains what's going on and then asks Johnny to keep looking for Carla. He's going into rehab and he needs somebody to... Uh, follow up the work that he's been doing. So that's why he called him over. And he also wants to pay a little bit more for that bottle that he took. Yeah, which Even Johnny... he already paid. Which Johnny does take. Yeah, well, at first he insists, no, 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 it's fine. And then Peter insists, which is good. He's making amends. Yep. That's... Part of the 12 steps. Yeah. Step four, I think. I may be wrong. It's been a while. Ken tells him to think about himself rather than Carla, and then Johnny promises to do what he can. Yeah, thanks, Ken. And with that, Peter and Ken jump into the car and head off to rehab, with Simon arriving just in time to say cheerio. Oh, that's nice. So that's as far as we get with that storyline this week, so it looks like Peter's going to be out of it for a little while. Oh, thank God. Oh, he's been good in it the past couple of weeks. He was good in it last week, and he was good in it the little bit he was in it this week. Yeah, so the past couple of weeks. That's... that's this week and last week. Meh. A couple of weeks. Meh. Do you think he'll shave his beard in rehab? <sighs> I've honestly given it no thought. Or at least give it a trim. Maybe. It's I a hope fairly so. bushy effort at the moment. Ugh, it's horrible. It's very Captain Haddock. Our next storyline tonight is the factory fallout stuff with Nick and David and all that fun stuff. Yay! On Monday, Nick is sad at Roy's rolls. Alex cheers him up by doing a little dance for him. That was cute. In comes Leanne and they talk about Peter putting Carla ahead of Simon again and Nick mentions that maybe Simon could move in with them if only they could get rid of Toya and Imran. Hmm. Leanne doesn't think the timing is great for a still grieving Imran. And then uh, later Leanne briefly talks about the loss adjuster stuff but Nick changes the subject back to getting shot at Toya. She sticks her nose into their business and it makes them anxious and prevents them from getting their holes off each other. This seems to sway it for Leanne, and she'll have a word. Yeah, yeah. When when it's really just Nick doesn't want Toya around when he's talking to the 
insurance people and also asking uncomfortable questions. Yeah. As she did last week. Yeah. Yeah. So Leanne Manipulative and- much, Nick? Just a wee bit. Leanne and Toya are walking down the street and Leanne broaches the subject of Imran and Toya getting their own place. Toya knows it was Nick's idea and Leanne insists it's all about room and giving Ollie and Simon their own space. And Toya's pissed off, but she agrees to talk to Imran about it. At home, Toya mentions to Imran about moving out. It's hardly surprising and Imran actually can't wait. They gingerly agree to get a place of their own, which pleases them both. Imran has a friend who is a letting agent and he'll get in touch with them. They might get some recommendations. And meanwhile, it's Toya's bedsheet laundry day and she thinks it would be nice for her to do a favour for Leanne and Nick and do their bedsheets too. She strips the sheets and in doing so, discovers the report dum, dum, dum. under the mattress. Dum, dum, dum. So back at the flat, Toya's waiting for Leanne to come back and when she does, she shows her the report. Dum, dum, dum. It was under the mattress, so Nick must have stolen it. Not necessarily so, and what the fuck were you doing messing with my sheets in the first place? Which isn't the issue, says Toya. Toya is going to hand the report dum, dum, dum. into the police. We're going to stop doing that now. <laughs> Leanne begs Toya to think about this and speak to Nick, Nick first. Who's to say Imran didn't put it there? What? Toya says Leanne knows that's bullshit, and Leanne wants to wait until they know more, and Toya thinks this behaviour is well dodgy, and asks if Leanne thinks Nick is involved in the roof collapse, and Leanne, she can't answer that. And she has a shifty look on her face. So Leanne is done talking about it, she doesn't think Nick sabotaged anything, and not just because she loves him. Toya reminds Leanne that the Joe order fell through, the loss adjuster is dragging her heels, he was going to lose the factory, he was desperate, and then Nick comes in. He, dum, said, dum, dum. he says he didn't put the report under the mattress. Dum, dum, dum. So someone's trying to stitch him up and he suspects Imran, who, let's remember, tried to steal the report from dum, Wayne. Dum, dum. Knock it off. Good luck proving that, says Toya. And Leanne and Nick leave with those collections of pages saying that they're going to hand them in to the police. Leanne is not about to forget this. What? <laughs> Just so dumb. Dum, dum. Dum, dum. I, again, as we pointed out, the, when this first became a thing, the only thing necessarily illegal is the fact that he's reading this thing that he shouldn't be reading yet. A little ahead of time. Uh, yeah. Because obviously there has to be more than one copy yeah. of this thing. It's got to be a file in the cloud somewhere. But he did break into someone's car to get it. And that's a crime. That is absolutely a crime and a little hat tip to Aunt Mercy Tart there who in their uh, five things we learned in Coronation Street this week from a couple of weeks ago first decided to put the report in all caps <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious and that's why we do the dum 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 yep. so uh. thank you Mercy Tart hat tip at the police station Nick asks to see DS Beckett and she calls him through Leanne tells him to tell the truth and she looks like she really is having doubts which Nick definitely picks up on Nick explains how Toya found the report under the bed and he had no idea it was there. It must have been planted to incriminate him. He names some of the people who have access to the flat and DS Beckett asks him to drop a list. Nick says it couldn't have been him or otherwise why would he be there? Correct. We'll be in touch, says Beckett. And Nick is suddenly nervous and suspicious when Beckett says that she'll be speaking with Toya. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because he, he handed it in doesn't get him off the hook. No. No, no, it doesn't. So where did... It seems, I, it, it seems like he's... 
it's a very very childish reaction to right or assumption to make or logic to have yeah it's dum 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 yeah very very dum 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 imran and toya are at the rovers and imran has been flat hunting he has some possibilities in mind and some viewings are on the calendar Toya doesn't tell him about. Back at the flat, Nick explains to Leanne that Beckett wants to see Toya, and now Leanne, for some reason, is shocked that the police would want to corroborate his story. Nick thinks the police don't believe him. So Nick goes through his list of suspects. Could it, couldn't be Carla, could it be Nimran, or maybe there was an accomplice. He accuses Leanne of not believing him, because if she did believe, she wouldn't have been worried about him going to the police in the first place. She wants to talk... But he says, if she doesn't believe him, then they have nothing to talk about. That was another bit of flawed logic, I thought, from Nick. That oh. If you're worried about him going to the police, then you must be worried that he actually did it. He's gaslighting. Oh, that's quite a bit of that this week. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a bit of his... It's like, um, remember when Tim's dad said to Yasmin, well, you don't... If you're not happy with this, then I guess maybe I should just move out. Yes. About a month ago. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing. I'm going to get you on my side by accusing you of not being on my side. Right. Right. So Wednesday, Leanne is home and not speaking with Toya until Toya reveals that she hasn't told Imran yet. Leanne says that Nick got on fine with the police who believed his story. Toya hopes he's innocent because if not, there's no coming back from this. That's correct. Then Leanne meets up with Nick at Roy's Rolls and she tells him that Imran doesn't know about the report and she says that she trusts him 100%. That said, if there's anything else... But he insists there isn't and they arrange to meet at the bistro for lunch later. Oh, which is just a load of bull hockey. Mm-hmm. But on the way, the police pull up on the street and arrest Nick on the spot for stealing from a motor vehicle. He, he gets carted off, telling Leanne to get him a lawyer. Toya sees this and is get sorry. But Leanne tells her to bolt. Leanne finds David and Roy's roles and explains the situation with Nick. They need to get my lawyer. Sally just happens to be there. Lucky and, that. And she has a recommendation for them. I wonder yes. who that could be. Hmm. Back at the flat, Toya explains to Imran that Nick has been arrested and then uh, has to tell him about the report being under the mattress. She doesn't want to worry him with it. She says that Leanne thinks he deserves the benefit of the doubt, but Toya doesn't think that factories collapse by themselves. That's correct. Nick knows more than he's letting on, she thinks. That is also correct. Yeah. And then later, Paula's back. Yay! She sits with Nick in the interview room and asks him to fill her in. <laughs> but not like that. Because she's a lesbian. Stop making me laugh. <laughs> DS Beckett asks about his knowledge of the roof collapse. Did he know there was damage? He says yes, but he knew the day before Carla... He knew the day before the factory caved in. Yeah, because Carla said that there were some repairs needed. That doesn't square with Carla's account, and Beckett says that Nick had a motive to let this happen. She doesn't believe in coincidence. She finds it interesting that the factory that was going to be offloaded turned to rubble. Nick says he didn't know of Carla's plans, which Beckett just doesn't believe. Nick says she went behind his back. Is Nick that gullible? Carla must be the brains of the operation, says uh, Beckett. And this seems to make Nick bite a little bit. Yeah, it does. And say that he was focusing on the barber shop. And this gets the other copper interested. Right. Where did the money come from to buy that? Nick says it was from his divorce settlement. And he admits that he stood to lose out on the outsourcing, but it doesn't matter because the plan, like Rana, is dead. <sighs> <laughs> Beckett. Beck, <laughs> so childish. It, it's, 
Beckett asks him where he was on the morning of the collapse and Nick says that he went out for a run on his own and saw no one. That's unfortunate. And then they take a break. Right. So that Roy's roles, Shona and Leanne chat about the Nick situation. After the Sally situation, where she went to jail for something she didn't do, she worries that the same might happen to Nick. Yeah, but Sally wasn't stitched up, says Shona. Maybe that's what's happened to Nick, an insurance job angle doesn't really work. He's had plenty of money after the divorce, says Leanne. Then Shona then reveals that she overheard David and Nick talking about the two and a half grand for Clayton and Nick saying that they've all done things they're not proud of and it was kind of dodgy money or something. Mm -hmm. Leanne accuses Shona of playing down David's involvement. So that's a callback to something that happened. Ages ago. Months ago. That Mm -hmm. was the Clayton running through the graveyard sort of era of of Coronation Street that we all (laughs) know and love so much. (laughs) Yeah, this was when... um, Shona is hiding in the kitchen and she overhears them putting the money in um, David's epilepsy medication jar thing. Jar thing. I didn't know that David was epileptic. Did you? I don't think so. No, I don't think I knew, I knew that. You're like, why does he have medicine? But now we know he's epileptic. Has he ever had a seizure on the show? I wonder. He must have. I guess he wouldn't just give him medication without there being a cause for it. Hmm. Something must have happened. Interesting. So back at the police station, Beckett asks about Nick's financial situation. Previously, he'd said that his wife was chasing him for the money. Isn't that why he hid some? Which was it? It can't be both. And Nick says, actually, it was. He paid her, and then in the divorce, she ended up owing him. Huh? No. Beckett says it's amazing what people will do when they're desperate, like fake an accident to cash in on the insurance. And Paula reminds him that Nick has been there for hours, for four hours, actually. They don't have a case... They just have theories without evidence. Either charge Nick or let him go. Well done, Paula. Actually doing your job for once. Hmm. Back at the flat, Imran decides to phone one of the duty solicitors at the station to see if they've heard anything. Back at the station, though, they've let Nick go. David's there to meet him, and Paula goes off allowing Nick and David to talk in the middle of the police station, literally talking on the logo for the police force on the floor about the stolen money. Yeah. <laughs> Nice touch. Nick says it never came up. It did come up though, didn't it? They did talk about the money. Not a lot about the money, but they did talk about the money. Yeah, but not about them stealing it from the grand. But, I mean, this is, you know, this is this is what Nick is doing. Nick is lying to everyone and gaslighting everyone this week. You know, but especially Leanne and David. Yeah. It's icky. Uh, not to show the extent that he's playing David, but he's definitely playing Leanne. No, he's playing David because he's he's making it seem equal. You know, if I go down for this roof thing, then they're going to find out about the money thing, and mm-hmm. then we're both going down, which is not necessarily true. Right. Then Imran hears from his buddy. They've released Nick without charge. Imran reacts well to this. <laughs> oh no he doesn't he storms off rather angrily Leanne gets home and Toya admits that she told Imran who hasn't taken this well Leanne is surprised a lawyer has forgotten about innocent until proven guilty Toya says Nick has covered his tracks Toya loves Leanne and doesn't want lying Nick to hurt her where's the trust and Leanne sucks, sucks a thoughtful tooth at this so Nick is back home on the street and is no sooner out of the taxi when Imran punches Nick in the face Imran's so good at that. It's not quite as good as a Peter Punch. Mm. But it's still pretty good. It was pretty satisfying. He accuses Nick of killing Rana and stealing the report 
and he's pulled off by David. But not like that. As Nick escapes... You are a child. <laughs> as Nick escapes into the flat, Imran swears that he's going to kill him. I kill him. In front of witnesses. Right. In public. Is a gonna, lawyer. Is that going to come back to bite when they ask? I hope not. Nah, probably won't. A bloodied Nick comes into the flat, explains what's happened, and Toya runs off to see Imran. Nick wonders how much poison Toya has been feeding into Leanne's ear, but actually it was something that Shona had said about them talking about dodgy money. Nick has no idea what she means by that. Shona has always hated him, uh, he says. Nick doesn't blame her for doubting him, but what hurts is that he thought she'd be the one person to have his back. Then Toya and Imran come back to hand back their keys, and Leanne demands an apology, and Toya realises that Nick has worked on her, and she can't see what's in front of her face. Nick tells him to pack and get out. They don't want them in their lives, says Nick, and Leanne confirms this to be the case. Fuck y'all, says Toya. Consider me out of your life then. Nick is appreciative, and Leanne looks like she's wondering what she's just done. Oh, she knows what she's just done. She knows. She's choosing the dark side here. Absolutely. But there seems to be a moment of doubt and a moment of, oh, Christ, I wish I hadn't done that. No, yeah, she knows Nick is up to something. But... Nick puts a roof over her head. Nick has provided security for her. And her son. Right. Both of her sons, in a way. Not so much for Simon. Right, but if if they're kind of thinking about asking Simon to move in. All right, okay, cool, yeah. You know, she considers him a more stable, and he she definitely considers him a more stable father figure to both Simon and Oliver than <laughs> Peter or <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Yikes. So... The Leaning Tower of Pisa is more stable, I think. Right. I think they're they're really playing on this whole Lady Macbeth idea that she's... That she knows... that She knows Nick has done something wrong, but she's going to stay with him anyway and and help him. Oh, that could get pretty dark. In his devious deeds. Could you Are you thinking now that, now that she's made a decision that she has to follow through on it? That she can't get out of it? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Because where is she going to go? Because she's just going to get deeper and deeper. That's right. And mired in this and become mm-hmm. complicit to it. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Which oh, will be sucks. interesting. That'll be a really interesting storyline. And I look forward to seeing it. If it happens. Do you think Nick was responsible for the roof collapse? He's responsible for something. Yeah. He's really shady. Plus, the the dude who plays Robert is leaving. So, <laughs> which takes some uh, of the uh, idea of Robert being involved. It was never Robert that's on the roof, I don't think. No. It was a very I slight... I don't think it was necessarily Nick either. I think he no. maybe paid somebody. Yeah. Which Robert very well could have done too. I think Nick's more likely to have done that than, than Robert. Anyway. On Friday then, Imran and Toya are moving into Rana's place. It's like she's still alive and it seems to give Imran some comfort. Does Craig still live there? It seems yeah. like nobody lives there. Yes. They're like boxes and things kind of strewn about as if nobody's living there. I think Kate's still living at the Rovers. Yeah. Where's Craig? But Craig's there on his own. <laughs> oh God. I hope he's hydrating. Holy. <laughs> we haven't seen him in a while. No. Then Nick meets David in Roy's roles. They have a problem. He, uh, Nick tells him that Shona overheard him talk about the money and he tells David to sort it out. He insists he got arrested for something he didn't do and mud sticks. In comes Sarah wondering what they're whispering about. 
Nick, it seems, has a resting guilt face. Sarah looks worried that Nick really is guilty or something. Then David checks in with Shona about what she overheard about the money. She thought she heard Nick say that the money was dodgy. And David gaslights her this time a little bit and can't remember Nick saying that. Right, and like, and Shona's like, well, it was a while ago and maybe I, I misheard it. And, yeah, and, and David's like, yeah, maybe you did. Yeah, maybe you did. And maybe that's exactly what maybe, happened. Maybe we should talk about these things before before you say things yeah. to other people. And they're they're quite nice to one another about it. David's not as dark and devious as Nick in this. He's a little manipulative. Yeah, but it's it kind of feels like it's coming from a better place. I don't know. I it didn't it didn't chill me the way the whole Nick gaslighting everybody in his family. Nick and David are in the pub and David is pleased that he threw Shona off the scent. David wants to think of a way out of this to get Gran's money back and Nick scoffs. He's made lying to his loved ones an art form. He's up to his neck in this and he should man up. Yeah, and that was Nick just totally just, oh. No, because at least Nick wants to, at least David wants to pay his grandmother back Square everything up and everything. Whereas Nick doesn't seem to want to pay his grandmother back. No, he doesn't. No. no. That, 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 he does not care. That boat has sailed. Yeah. So then later at home, Sarah catches Nick and David whispering again. And when Nick leaves, she approaches David about it. She knows they're up to something and she asks if Nick is involved in the roof collapse. David sticks up for Nick. He's got enough on his plate without his family ganging up on him. She wants the truth, and he cooks up a story about planning a birthday party for Gail. Which nobody believes. No, Sarah wasn't born yesterday. No. And tells him that the truth will out. Seriously. Which it will, obviously. Absolutely. So I think we kind of touched on how this kind of changes, or maybe doesn't change, how we felt about Nick being the, the culprit for this. And David's still just a kind of... Well, he's not real an innocent bystander, but he's been kind of sucked into this... Right, just the way Leanne is going to be. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, if Nick is going to go down, he's going to drag as many people as he possibly can with him. Absolutely. This seems a bit villainous, don't you think? <laughs> just a little. And I know somebody mm. on Twitter who'd be very happy with that mm. comment. <laughs> yeah, Ben Price's fan page is so keen for Nick to be the villain. I know. She, like, I think it's a she. She's going to be devastated if... If he's not. If he isn't. So next story is oh Tim's achy breaky heart. On Monday, Sally's got Tim on the granola. He pretends to be excited about it and Sally's sling has finally come off. She reminds him about his checkup with the doctor later. And she can't pronounce granola. No, that's one of a few things that she can't pronounce this week. <laughs> At the cab office, Tim tells Sally that his blood pressure and cholesterol have both gone up. Sally doesn't understand it. It doesn't make sense. So Sally insists that they'll have to move to do more exercise and she'll have to revise his meal plan. Later, Sally's back at the cab office. She seems to be living at the cab office. Mm. She doesn't work at the cab office. No. She's brought some Lycra outfits so they can do exercise after work. Tim worries that he's the wrong shape for Lycra. Sally leaves and Eileen wires into a sandwich and Tim looks at Eileen like her head's made from a ham. I think Lycra and Spandex are the same thing, yes? Yeah, I think so. I don't want to see Tim in either. <laughs> but we get to. Well, he's kind of covered up. Right. So but you can't really see he keeps, his... He keeps pulling down his shirt to cover his... Meat and two veg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Tim and Lycra is not a pretty sight. They warm up ahead of their power walk as a go-lucky cab goes by. Tim has been seeing these everywhere. That was a strange little addition. We mentioned it, I think, a bit later on. I don't think I mentioned it in my notes, but yeah, there's these electric cars. the thing that's kind of like the whole... Corey seems to be trying to say something here about gentrification and um big business coming in to wipe out the little guys because we've we've already had it with the uh with the yard you know and gary not being able to oh yeah 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 hmm what are we saying here Corey? is it like the gentrification episode of south park oh god i hope not <laughs> that was hilarious so, uh, Dev and Eileen show up, and Steve's going to come along too. He's dressed in 1980s fitness gear, and the four of them go off for a power walk. He's got a rainbow <laughs> headband. headband. He looks like he just came off the set of uh, the Let's Get Physical. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the Rovers, Dev claims to have won the race, and Steve's put his knee out. Sally reminds him that it wasn't a race, it was a health choice, and she invites him all round to her place tomorrow for a healthy meal. So back at home with Sal upstairs in the shower, Tim reveals that he has a secret stash of chocolate hidden in the vase. He whips out a bar and gets torn into it. And he leaves a wrapper on the coffee table and seems to forget about it. Yeah. He whips it out. But not that way. But not like that, no. Damn it, I missed that. Mm-hmm. Well spotted, my darling. You're welcome. On Wednesday at the cab office, Eileen is tempting Tim with a proper tea bag. She thinks Sally's brainwashing him. Then she finds Tim's cookies that look like alien poos. In comes Sally with Tim's shopping list, and she's pleased Eileen likes her kale cookies. Tim and Steve manoeuvre Eileen into coming along for tea tonight, and Sally says that she's more than welcome. Eileen is less than happy about this. I don't see what Eileen has against this whole thing. It doesn't make any sense to me. What does she have against peppermint tea? It's not like it's some weird, you know, turmeric and another spice sort of thing it's peppermint there's nothing weird about peppermint tea she seems to take against uh tim being henpecked i think right and i think he's a supplier of biscuits yeah but let's let's understand that this is this is not just some happy-go-lucky health kick that sally's on tim had a heart attack yeah Albeit, albeit nobody really noticed. WTF, I lead. <laughs> so Tracy, Steve and Eileen shop at Sally's. Steve warning them to be on their best behaviour. The more the merrier, says Sally. Eileen brings a bag that she says Tim left in the cab office and to Sally's disgust, she finds that it's full of junk food. Was that deliberate by Eileen? There was kale on top. Oh, was it? Yeah. Because later she claims that it wasn't, but it seems a bit of a stretch that she didn't mm. look inside the bag to see what was there. Eh. So the dinner party is going well, except Steve doesn't know what he's eating. Sally mispronounces quinoa. She says, quinoa? No, no. Quinoa? Quina. Quina. Or something. And Tracy's kind enough to correct her. Yeah, Sa- kind. Sally says it's oh, a Oh yeah, plant. because Tracy's there too. Yeah. Tracy invited herself. Yeah. Uh, Sally says it's a plant. And again, Tracy corrects her. It's actually the seeds of a plant. Well, who the fuck made you the expert on quinoa, says Sally. And technically, seeds of a plant are still a plant. Tracy explains it's low in carbs. Sally forces more kale on poor Tim, who pretends to enjoy it. Sally is proud how he's stuck to this diet. And dessert is a bit of a hit. Sally has a special dessert for Tim, and she starts throwing all the snacks from the bag at him. (laughs) 
It's just a few treats to keep him going, and he doesn't appreciate her treating him like a child, and he storms off to the pub. Tracy has enjoyed herself enormously tonight. Everybody really likes the dessert, until they find out that it's made of mung beans, and then all of a sudden they're like, what? It's like, shut up. You've been eating it and really enjoying it, so shut up. Sally gives Dave and Steve a hard time for tempting Tim, and she throws everyone out. Get out. Tim's knocked back a pint in the Rovers, and in comes Sally, who, uh, who Tim calls the fun police. Then he orders himself another pint and a packet of porch scratchings. Fine, says Sally. Kill yourself. Then later, Tim's home. He didn't have that pint or the porch scratchings. He's just finding this hard. So they make a compromise. Healthy eating with the odd pint and no more sneaking about. Yay. Then on Friday, Tim is decluttering the house of all the snacks. He calls crisps a gateway drug. You start <laughs> with salt and vinegar and the next thing you know, you're sticking prong cocktail up your arse. Right. I wasn't going to do it this time. I was going to do it a bit later on. Ah, uh, well, I've already started. Okay, go for it. Right, right. up, up your arse. arse. Tim I says, do "Love prawn cocktail chips, though, and we can't get them in America, so please send them to me." Tim says it's hard. That's what she said. <laughs> but he wants to do it. That's what she said. Sally gives him a treat. I think we're done with this. To have with his healthy packed lunch. Tim's dad is enjoying some hot toast, which Alia thinks is insensitive because of Ramadan starting soon. Alia heads off to work, leaving Tim's dad to pressure Yasmin into staying at home so he can get his hole. Yasmin tells him to run the dust around the place if he has all this excess energy. She's off to help out Alia, but she promises to do him later. Tim's dad <laughs> seems disappointed that he's not getting his own way. Tim's dad. Wait for it. Alright, okay. Tim's dad is at speed dial hoping to spend time with Yasmin while she's working. But Yasmin is working. (laughs) He thinks about making her dinner tomorrow, but Alia thinks that she has a book club. Tim's dad is pissed that he doesn't have Yasmin at his beck and call. Tim's dad? Nope, not yet. Oh, come on. Yasmin takes a seat with Sally at Roy's Rolls. They talk about Tim's new diet and Yasmin thinks it might be stressful and she should bring Tim to speed dial. All their food is very healthy. If it's all the same, Sally will control what's in Tim's diet and she can stick her curry up her arse. Right. Oh, no, you can't oh, do it twice. Okay. Yeah, and this really kind of pissed me off and made me feel that maybe there's something to everybody being annoyed with Sally's henpecking because curry can be quite healthy and good for you and quite a few of the spices in Indian cooking is good for you and are anti-inflammatories and are yeah. good for your heart, like yeah. turmeric. Yeah. So her whole, well, I want to... Con- she she actually says, I want to control what goes into his body if it's all the same to you. And it's like, Sally, chill. Tim's and da- also, that was really offensive to Yasmin and kind of mean and cruel. Tim's dad's home, he has news. So does Yasmin, but Tim's dad insists on going first. He's cancelled her book club thing and is going to cook her a fabulous meal after sundown tomorrow. Tim's, Tim's dad, dad, what a what tit. tit. <laughs> Yasmin was actually going to cancel too because tomorrow night she's cooking for Sally and Tim because Sally thinks she's some kind of health-eating Cesar. She asks Tim's dad to make the invitation, which she dramatically agrees to do. Oh. Then finally... It's, it was so nice of the men of the book club to give Tim's dad the go-ahead. Did you notice? Yeah. Did you notice that it's Ken and Brian he's spoken to? Not Kathy. Not Kathy. Did you notice? 
Tim and Sally are at home. She's been doing some research and she might have been wrong about something. Oh, actually, Jim, let me try it. Ha uh-huh. Tim and Sally are at home. She's been doing some research and she might have been wrong about something. Getty's hole might actually be good for him, even though she's a very passionate woman. Ha uh-huh. And that's as far as we go with that. Oh, yeah. And then they go, they run upstairs to to get it on. And Tim at first is like a little bit coy and, oh, I don't know. You know, what if my poor heart can't take it? And Sally's like, Oh, do you mean you don't want it? Then that's fine. And Tim's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I want it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the little dance that you did. <laughs> Only for you, my darling. Thank Only you. for you. So I don't know if we're going to, this is going to be a longer running story or not, or we might be done with this. I oh, mean, no, because, it's, no, this is because we have because that stupid Yasmin dinner. Thing. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I think this is going to continue to be filler story. In between all of the dramatic stuff. Right. Because it works. It's funny-ish. Yeah, I guess. It, it, it gets the gang together. It gets us all that quality Steve and Tim and Dev stuff that we love so much. Hey, remember that one time when it was a scene with Steve and Tim and they'd wrapped tape around themselves yeah, and were pretty to, to be dinosaurs? Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there one where they wrapped themselves in bubble wrap and just hit each other? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Our next story... It's the most successful relationship on Coronation Street is Tim and Steve. Yeah, probably. Our next story is Bobski the Builder. On Monday, Jan is in the florist looking for a big bouquet. And then comes Mary, who's still annoyed with Jan, who wants to spray her. But not that way. But not that way. Maybe it'll go some way to express his remorse. And he buys a 50 quid bouquet and Mary forgives him. 60 quid, wasn't he? No, it's 50. Oh, right. I think it was 48, actually. And oh. then Tracy goes to take the flowers back to resell, but Mary tells her to get her fucking mitts off them. And in real life, that particular bouquet would be a lot more than 50 quid. Tracy mentions that Bobski the builder, uh, Jan, fancies Mary. Mary thinks it's ridiculous, but Tracy insists that she uh, take Jan out for a drink or to let Jan take her out for a drink and Mary's quite giggly thinking about it which is weird because last week she couldn't stand the sight of him yeah Jan meets Mary in the pub and helps her with her ketchup bottle Mary has definitely thawed on him in comes Moira who joins Jan in one of the booths and she continues to blatantly flirt Jan lets her down saying there's another woman and Moira is disappointed but seems to take it fairly well the mm. and Jan are in the bar when uh, Eileen reminisces about her first snog with a guy with braces who nearly ripped her lip off. Eileen goes off for a slash and Moira pounces again. Is that the other woman? Jan insists that he and Eileen are just friends and Moira is baffled that he would choose Eileen over her. Must be a Polish thing, she says. Go yeah, fuck was, yourself, Moira. <laughs> was pretty annoying. On Wednesday, the florist Mary's in a fine mood. She had an odd dream last night surrounded by men who had sausage rolls for heads. Tracy didn't see that one coming. No, nor did I. Sounds like my kind of dream. Ooh. (laughs) Then a Scotch egg fellow came out of nowhere and Mary ate him up whole. It means that she needs to get back on the horse, she thinks. And she thinks that that horse is Jan. Yes. But is that way. At Roy's Rolls, the sausage roll conversation continues. In comes Jan having a whispery conversation with Rachel. Mary says hello in Polish and Tracy asks who Rachel is. Jan explains that she's a customer. Mary asks him about that drink they mentioned and they arrange to meet at the Rovers later, although Jan doesn't seem quite as keen. 
But in the Rovers later, Mary is enjoying a drink with Jan. She's very flirtatious and makes it clear that she wants her whole. But Jan decides to talk about the love of his life, Sophia, back in Poland, who died and was buried on the day they were supposed to be married, mowed down by a cattle truck, as apparently is tradition in Poland. He will never love again and never forget his one true love. Then he says he's having a jolly time with her and she seems to misinterpret this. Yeah. Because he's basically saying, I'm never going to love again. And she hears, but you might be the one that's going to make me love again. Right. And later in the Rovers, Mary explains to Tracy that Jan had said that he didn't think he could love until he met her, which definitely wasn't what he said. Now, no. Ma- now Mary wants to get in touch with Norris, who she married to get on a quiz show and divorce him. Which afraid- I don't understand why they haven't gotten divorced. No, there's no... Good, uh, uh, Before now. He had to leave in a hurry because of his health. And so the, uh, <clears throat> the actor who played Norris. Mm. So they couldn't really work oh, a storyline okay. out of it. <clears throat> on Friday at breakfast, Jan is recounting the cock and bill story he fed Mary about his fiancée's tragic death at the hands of a cattle truck. He calls it a health and safety nightmare and an agricultural disaster, which is pretty funny. Mm. Eileen isn't impressed that he lied and thinks that he should have told the truth, but they have a good old laugh at it. Mm-hmm. Then later, Mary is phoning Norris in Peru on her mobile phone from Roy's Rolls. She leaves her seventh message, and Tracy wonders if maybe he's dead. That's my husband you're talking about, says Mary, and Moira's there because she's involved in the storyline, and she quizzes Mary about her impending divorce. Mary reveals that she's on the cusp of a new relationship with Jan, and it's only fair to start with a clean slate. Moira focuses on the word cusp, but Mary's insistent that they're dating now, which they're definitely not. No. And she'll mend his broken heart, which he won't. And then Moira has trouble picturing this. Correct. At the medical centre, Moira's complaining to Eileen about how she's not getting her hole and how Jan slipped through her fingers and into Mary's mittens. Mary's divorcing her husband in order to be free and mend his broken heart. Ah, says Eileen. Jan made that story up to let Mary down gently. Good looking and compassionate, says Moira, who ignores the fact that Jan's been lying, who practically has an orgasm behind the counter. And good looking? Jan? He looks like Cat Weasel. <laughs> no offence to the guy, I'm sure he's... I, I don't know what Cat Weasel is, but... Just straggly, beardy, and kind of long of face, and... Is it the accent, maybe? Maybe it's the accent. Ladies do love an accent. I can't possibly comment on that. I'm living proof. <laughs> Beefcake. Then Moira is chatting up Jan outside the flower shop, making sure that Mary sees her. Mary wants to know what she's up to. Moira tells Mary that Jan was being too nice to dump her. He made up that story about the love of his life. Sorry about that, says Moira. You must be crushed. She's not sorry at all. No. And Mary storms off. What an awful character. Yeah, that was quite nasty. So Mary is battering at Eileen's door and Jan answers. Mary demands an excuse for his lies. Jan apologises. He likes Mary, but... Tracy offers to lamp him, but Mary says that she's more than capable of doing that for herself. Thank you very much. Which she is. Sally says, won't everyone think of the children? Eileen says, well, in Jan's defence... Oh no, actually, he has no defence. <laughs> Carry on. Mary says that she was prepared to divorce Norris to be free. She asks Jan to keep his distance in future. So is this all just a, 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 a device to get Mary to call Norris to get the divorce, to get Norris back on the show? Yeah. Yeah. Mary and Tracy are on their way to the pub when they see the door for number three wide open. Mary is in the mood to take on a burglar with some reasonable force. <laughs> yeah, she is. So she and Tracy go into the house and try to do badass Navy SEAL signals to each other, 
uh, which fails. And Mary shouts on whoever's in the house, but she doesn't get a response. And you, we can hear somebody clattering about. Mm-hmm. And then they charge into the living room, and it's Frida, Emily's deaf cousin? Niece. Niece. She's been sent by Norris to sell the house. Uh, she says that Norris is, a si- is at a silent retreat, which is why he's not answering his phone. But she was able to communicate with him through sign language. Through sign language, that was a nice touch. Not American sign language, though. Why would it be? Because why would it be? Yeah. Sign language is different in different countries. Yeah, there's a... Random fact of the week. That's a random fact of the week. There'll be another random fact of the week next week. There was an interesting Stuff You Should Know episode about that. Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. Eileen and Jan discuss the Mary situation. Eileen admits that she told Moira. Thanks a bunch, says Jan, who realises that he's made a mess with this. Eileen tells Jan that Moira is well into him. Yikes, says Jan. He wants to set things straight with Mary first before doing anything else. And Eileen seems to be teasing Jan to find out who he wants to bang. Because I think... She still wants it to be her. Yeah. Or she's starting to think that maybe she wants it to be her. But it was weird because she's like, I did you a favor and told Moira you were available. Not seeming to know that it doesn't seem like Jan wanted Moira to think that he was available (laughs) either. No. But then when she tells him that... He's weird about it. Like, oh, well, I just, I'm really clumsy around women and I didn't know. And, yeah, you know, maybe. Something the... kind of fishy going on with him, I think. Yeah. So later, Frida has made tea. Norris doing anything silent is suspicious, says Tracy. And Frida says Norris has no intention of returning, which is why he's selling up. Mary thinks Norris would have told her. They're married after all. And Frida points out that Mary wants a divorce and she asks them both to leave. She's got a lot of packing to do. Mary demands that Norris quit being such a fucking baby and give her a call. So Mary doesn't live in number three? No. Where does Mary live? Uh, so she doesn't live in her husband's house? So this isn't going to make Mary homeless. Where does Mary live? Because this really confused me because I assumed that this was where Mary lived as as well. But then when Frida oh, says, could you please get out? And they get out with her without her saying, wait a second, I live here. Well, thankfully, we'll have something for Hindsight Corner next week because it was empty this week. Blue, 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 blue. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Jan and Eileen are in the pub. Uh, he sees Mary and goes to apologise. She's not interested. It was an apology from him that started all of this. Mary reveals that it's not just him, though, and explains about Norris. It's not a conventional marriage, but she's just found out that he's selling up and moving on without telling her. Jan asks if they can be friends, and Mary could always use a good listener. Then, so that was nice. And then they finish the story off. Frida's checking the contents of her handbag. She has an urn in it that she puts on the sideboard and she says, I'll miss you every day. But yeah. we don't know who it was. But she puts it right next to a picture of Norris. Yeah. Which is makes which is misdirection. Yes. Because we know it's not Norris. It's not Norris. So there is a very brief uh, few scenes on Wednesday where Abby is with Brian talking about the short story homework Mm-hmm. Abby hears that uh, Zombizi is starting up another series so she goes off to watch uh, the first series so she can talk to Sally about it but what she's really doing is plagiarising it uh, right. for a short story but it doesn't it doesn't work because Brian's seen all of Zombizi because Cathy's really into it apparently it, exactly and Brian explains that he just wanted her to use her imagination she says she's no good at it and he challenges her to think of a time she had to make something up on the spot Abby explains about a time that she was caught with a truck full of sausages and she lied and said it was for her massively scary non-existent dogs. Brian says that's what creative writing is, telling lies that passes truth. And from this perspective, Abby cracks on with assignment. Yeah, I liked this. 
Yeah, and Brian asks, well, why did you steal the sausages anyway? Or why did you steal so many of them? Because there was a deal. There was, they were on special. They were on special, yeah. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was pretty she funny. She says it without missing a beat. That was right, hilarious. yeah. Our final storyline of the night. Yay! It's Chesney and Gemma. <laughs> no, actually, no, not boo. Well, the Chesney bits boo, but all of the scenes that Gemma does this week with Rita and with Paul. Yay! Yeah, we liked him. On Wednesday, Emma's at the kebab shop chatting with Chesney. He says that Gemma is still important to him, and Emma puts her hand on his and tells him to uh, and tells him to tell Gemma. In comes Gemma with Ryan, and she misinterprets this affection. Chesney tells Gemma it's her turn to make the kebabs, and she snaps that she'll do it when she's pig and ready. Gemma's not a happy chappy at work. She goes off for her fifth break, and Ches doesn't think she's pulling her weight and wants to know what's up with her, and she snaps at him and eventually quits her job. And she goes to the Rovers, where Ryan is covering for Emma for some reason. Gemma orders a cider and then changes her mind to tap water. Right, because she remembers she's pregnant. Yeah. She starts to cry, and Ryan puts an arm around her and takes her through the back, which Emma sees happen. Ryan's made Gemma a lovely cup of tea. They talk about the feelings of her relationship with Chesney, and she admits that she misses him and she needs him. He tells her to tell... Ryan tells her to tell Chesney that. Maybe it's worth another go. So Chesney comes into the rovers now and Emma's serving and does her best to usher him back out again. He's suspicious, but then it's too late. Ryan and Gemma come through from the back and Ryan's given her a big hug and Gemma says it's just what she needed. She sees Ches and says that she was just on her way to see him. But of course, because we're doing this whole fucking stick again, Chesney jumps to the wrong conclusion, accuses her of wasting no time jumping in the sack with Ryan, and Paul growls at him, and Gemma shouts that she's glad that they split up, and she storms off, which allows Ryan to explain what really happened and makes Chesney feel bad. Haven't we done this to death already? Yes, yes, this whole misdirection and, and misguided and misinterpreting things because remember Gemma first misinterprets Emma's hand on Chesney yep and then less than 10 minutes later we have Chesney misinterpreting Ryan yep. giving her a hug we've been doing this for months it wasn't <laughs> funny in the first like, no. place oh, then back home Gemma says that she was going to ask for another chance with Ches for the baby and Paul says he's going to figure that and Paul says that Ches is going to figure this out soon enough and then she'll never get rid of him. He'll have rights. Paul leaves to see Billy. And then Gemma, she gets on the phone. I wonder who she's calling. Hmm. On Friday, it's morning at Rita's and Paul's making tea. And Gemma announces that she's going home to live with mum. So that's who she was phoning. Yes. She's all packed and ready to go after breakfast. And then she pukes her ring. Yes. Rita's upset that Gemma's leaving. Rita's she's really, really upset. upset. Gemma's sick of the rowing and Chesney doesn't need to find out about this. Gemma's mum's apparently looking forward to being a granny. This is a good thing, she says. Paul's not buying this for a minute. Nope. He says this is a disaster waiting to happen. Yep. Gemma asks him not to tell Chesney and Rita promises. Then Rita asks for Gemma's mum's address, but Gemma doesn't know it. She's meeting her mum in the park, so she'll text it later. Yeah, and Paul's is, like, Come What? On. This is just so stupid. Gemma hugs Rita and Paul refuses. With Gemma gone, Paul says how much of a nasty old cow their mum is, and now Rita is worried that Gemma was lying about this. Mm-hmm. Then later, Chesney is in the cabin looking for Gemma. Rita thinks that she went out and she doesn't know where. Chesney owes Gemma an apology, and Rita agrees. He hasn't been much of a friend to her. He asks Rita if something's going on that he should know about. Then Paul meets with Gemma in the park. Where's mum? She's not there yet, and Paul wants to make sure that Gemma's okay. Gemma gets a text, but it's not from mum. 
Who meets in the park anyway, asks Paul. Why give up on everything? And she says, because of Chesney. The baby changes everything, and Gemma reveals that she's already had two abortions. Yeah. Yikes. Mm. Chesney thinks she's useless, and he's right. That's why she needs to get away. So after a bit, Paul and Gemma are comparing notes. He lived with her dad, and she lived with her mum, but they were both nightmares. Paul asks Gemma to go back with, with him, because mum isn't going to show up. Paul tells her that she's turning her back on people who care for someone who couldn't give a fuck about them. Again, Paul's left and Gemma's still in the park and she leaves a voicemail with her mum checking to make sure everything's okay. She's going to wait a wee bit longer. Poor Gemma, I felt really sorry for her. Yeah, me too. But then later, Gemma must have given up and she's walking the streets and Chesney drives past in his car. He sees Gemma and reveals that he knows about the baby. Oh, for fuck's sake, Rita, says Gemma, and with an air of resignation, she throws her bags to the ground. Chess thought she was on the pill, but she forgot to take it and it doesn't always work anyway. That's true. Chesney's glad that Rita told her, but Gemma says that she will never trust Rita again. Hmm. Chesney is ready to take Gemma home, but Gemma would rather stay in a squat with someone called Rihanna Higginbottom, who's up someone on the estate. Chesney says that she can't live like that, they should be together. He said harsh things, but there's tons that he likes about her, like her strength. He wants to do the right thing, like maybe get married and be a family. Gemma says it's too late to take it back just because she's knocked up. He refuses to walk away from the baby, though. Yeah, and the the person that she's going to live with is squatting, and she's not quite sure whether or not they have electricity and water, Yeah, but it'll be okay. It'll be fine. And Chesney's like, What? No! (laughs) When they were together, Gemma wants to know what percentage of the time he was happy. 50%? 40%? Chesney thinks this is ridiculous. He says that he likes her, but he's careful not to say that he loves her. Mm-hmm. Gemma's sorry, but she's out. She grabs her stuff out of the car and stomps off. And Chesney says, no, you're not supposed to be lifting heavy stuff, which is true. Yep. So later, Chesney's home and there's a knock at the door. It's Gemma. Surprise, surprise. She's not exactly changed her mind, but she thinks the baby should have a mum and a dad. He says they could be together. And this continues to go around in circles for a bit longer until Gemma leaves. And then Paul and Rita are at home talking about cooking programmes and whether they should go at the pub or not. Or to get Netflix or Amazon Prime. Oh, did they say that? Yeah, that's that's what that's what uh that's why they're talking about cooking programs, because Paul's like, There's nothing on. We really need to get Netflix or Amazon Prime. Which is just and, full of cookery programs. And, Re- and Rita says, Are there any I don't know, are there any cooking shows on there? And I yell there's a great British bake-off on the Netflix. Get it, Rita? <laughs> the camera's very careful just to linger on Paul here. Correct. Because when it pulls back to reveal Rita, we see that Gemma is back home, lying on the couch, kind of... Snuggling up with snuggling Rita. Snuggling up with Rita. Who is her real mum, after all. And that's how we end this week's episode. And that was lovely. It was lovely. I liked that. I liked that, because Rita is... Rita's Gemma's mum. So she may we, not be a biological, but that's that that relationship is just the best. So we found a new normal here. Yes. That she's going to be back at Rita's. Yes. She's going to let Chesney be involved in this. Right. And he's going to have his own separate life with right. Joseph and stuff. It's and how hopefully, it kind of looks. And hopefully they won't try to get back together. Please, God. Don't do it. This has to stop. Please. Think of the children. Moment of the week. Oh. Imran punching Nick? Yeah. 
I didn't cheer at that as much it's as always, a... It was always fun to watch Imran punch people. Um, Gemma and Paul on the bench talking about their childhood. That was pretty good. Yeah, that was okay. What do you want to give it to? I quite like the last scene there. Oh, yeah. That was good too. Yeah, let's give it to that. It just made me feel good. Yeah, it was a very feel-good scene. Uh, and people are going to disagree with us because people hate Gemma. <laughs> don't hate Gemma. We don't hate Gemma. We just hated that one storyline. We hated her for a couple of weeks when she right. was... We hate what they do with Gemma sometimes, but we don't hate the character. We don't hate the actor who plays her. Oh, God, no. No, no. No, no that was... I thought that was quite heartwarming. And yeah. we've, we've done kind of serious stuff and we've done funny stuff. Yeah. This is just That's a just nice... nice yeah, it was a nice way to end the week, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's our... Moment of the week. Moment of the week. The boring of the moment of the week. <sighs> Sally going on about the uh, plot lines of Zombiezy. <laughs> that went on for far too long. Yeah, it did. <laughs> that's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. <sighs> okay, so without further ado... Here is my interview with Glenda Young, founder and editor of the Coronation Street blog. Glenda is so lovely, we just started chatting away within seconds of the Skype call getting underway, and so I just hit record, and we joined the conversation about five minutes before the actual interview starts officially. Here it is. I hope you enjoy. If you get a chance, have a... See if you can interview the guys that do Corypedia. I mean, what they do is, is just... Whew. They, you know, they, they take notes after every single episode. They're constantly updating Corypedia with episodes, uh, characters, storylines, all sorts of things. So so for them, it's kind of like a full-time job. And they work pretty much hand-in-hand hand with ITV as well. So so they might be they might be a good pipe of people to, to do a little interview with as well. Yeah, that is pretty interesting because obviously there's... There's really two main resources that we have when we're like fact-checking stuff, and, and we get things wrong all the time, so we end up having to uh, look things up to see how wrong did we get it. Yeah. And there's, there's two places that we look, and one's the Cory blog and one is Corypedia, and those are the the real two that we have, kind of constantly within our our um, our favourites bar. So yeah, it's it's yeah. good. And I, I do yeah. like I do enjoy the the community feel about it. I enjoy interacting on the Twitter. We've we've just really started getting. Uh, a little bit of a foothold in that because we weren't really all that bothered about it to start off with and then you know you start to send some tweets and you start to get some responses and you start to get involved in conversations with people and all of a sudden you, you find that you're spending more time on the Corey podcast uh, Twitter account than you are on your own personal one and yeah. it's, it just becomes it just becomes a thing I guess so it does yeah 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 well I think all of the kind of the fact checking that I do I, I head straight to Corypedia um, so any, anything that you might see on the blog that's correct has come from Corypedia without a doubt. Um, yeah, but but it is it's a it's a really nice fandom. Um, and like I said, I, I I actually wish there were more sites, you know, like Corypedia, like the blog, like the Conversation Street podcast, and yep. then the podcast that you guys do. And I honestly I can't quite understand why there isn't more of that, more intelligent. <laughs> I keep using that word, but. More, I think it's more. Oh, what am I trying to say? I think it's more of a mature sort of outlook. A little, the fans mm-hmm. are a little bit older. We're not teenagers. We we love Coronation Street because we've it's been with us for a large part of our lives, and um, so that we kind of reflect that in what we're doing. 
No. And I honestly, I honestly do wish there was more of us. I understand that, that completely because when you look at the... When we started doing this, there were two podcasts that would come up if we searched for Coronation Street. There was a Conversation Street one and there was one called Off Mice and Ken and that yeah, was done I by... That yeah, yeah um, I loved the Off Mice and Ken one because they didn't know what they were doing. And we, and we kind of modelled ourselves on, on that a little bit. We kind of just stumbled into it. We kind of admitted that we didn't know what we were doing and we just kind of learnt as we were going along. And, and that's what they were doing. But then they stopped uh, or they became very irregular and then they just drifted off and they never came back. And I always felt quite quite disappointed about that because if there was more than, you know, to just have two, you know, it, it seems like it's a show that deserves a little bit more than that. And when you look... Yeah. I think even though uh, EastEnders only has really one main podcast that goes out and I don't think Emmerdale has any. So if you're no. looking for a a gap in the market to fill, it's putting together an Emmerdale podcast, but I never was a fan of Emmerdale, so, <laughs> so that's No, not, me neither. So that's not yeah. likely to happen. Yeah, I think I think you're right. There probably is a, a market there for, for someone who wanted to do it. But uh, yeah, because when you think about like, you know, like the television program Doctor Who, you think about all of the fan material that's out there for Doctor Who. Yeah, they, you know, the, the BBC constantly push out books. They get they get fans involved. There's all sorts of unofficial things as well that the kind of the BBC tolerate, and because it all helps promote the show. Sure. But with Coronation Street, there's just nothing. They don't even have their own range of merchandise and things like that. So, so Isn't yeah. So it's great. It's great to chat to you and all that sort of oh, stuff now. Oh, it's so yeah. bizarre. Yeah. Well, I guess we better. I guess we better kick off the interview. Then we've been speaking for, for yeah, yeah, five minutes or so, so. So, I'm thrilled to be joined by Glenda Young, the administrator and editor of the Coronation Street blog, one of the most valuable resources of all things Coy. I really can't imagine there's many people who listen to uh, this podcast who won't have a link to your blog on their favourites, and that must be quite that must be quite a good feeling. It's it's amazing feeling. It really is. Um, the blog's been going now for 11 years and we've got a huge team of Coronation Street fans who contribute to it. Um, when it started, it was just myself and my friend Diane. Uh, she was in Canada and uh, she sadly passed away in the last couple of years. Oh, I'm sorry. But we, it's, yeah, she, left a, she left a big hole in the blog because she took a very irreverent uh, but always respectful look <laughs> at the street. Um, so I, I do miss her posts, but we've... Um, we, the spirit of the blog is, is that it's fun. Uh, we do it because we all love Coronation Street and there's a team of about 16 of us now who contribute. Um, we're always open for guest posts too, so if anybody's listening who thinks they might like to do a little bit of writing about Coronation Street, please get in touch. That's that's an amazing statistic to have. 16 volunteers who are, you know, helping out, giving their time and creating content for you. How did that all come together? Um, it, it was really strange. People got in touch um, and just said, I love what you're doing. Um, I'd like to write something about Coronation Street. And I was like, yeah, great, no problem. We always credit guest bloggers and link to websites and Twitters and whatever people want us to link to. Yeah, you're very good at um, that. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, and then we had, I do a weekly update, which I've been doing for a long, a, a few years, <laughs> over 20 years, I've been doing a weekly update. So I've got a very dedicated uh, audience for that on a, a weekly email list. Yeah, we'll get to talking uh, about that. Yeah, we, um, we've got people who do episode reviews. We've got uh, Scott's wonderful five things I learned in Corrie this week, which always has me in tears of laughter. One of my favourite things. Just, everyone's kind of, 
yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's just so and good. we've all got our kind of thing that we do, yeah. Um, and then there are opinion pieces. If people just want to get something off their chest, if they're not happy with the way stuff the story's going, or they want to um, give the storyline some praise or single out particular characters that they like. Um, so it's there. It, it it's, it's, remains unique after 11 years. It is still the only resource where fans can actually say what they want to say um, and, and get it out there to a huge audience as well. Absolutely. Um, it's a, it's a fan site that's run by fans and it, it, it always will be. It's open to anybody to come and contribute. It's just fantastic that there is that resource there that people who are just interested in, because not everybody wants to read spoilers, right? And Going, That's right. And yeah. going to the blog and just you can choose to read a preview if you want, or you can choose to read a review if you want. There's nothing that's going to come up that's going to ruin anything for you. And I think that's a fantastic kind of stance to take where, you know, just because you have the lowdown of what's going to happen with a particular storyline doesn't mean to say that everybody else wants to know that. So I think you, you, you it's a difficult line to walk, I think, sometimes, but you guys seem to be doing it uh, pretty well pretty much all the time. Thank you, yeah. I think um, we do get a few complaints that we put too many spoilers on the blog. <laughs> really? And that, that's, that's, that's me because I love spoilers. I really do love them. And, and sometimes <laughs> in my enthusiasm, I, I will give away the spoiler in the title. And I, I, I also sort of get slapped down for that, and, and rightly so. So I do try. <laughs> if I see a spoiler that's really exciting, and I'll just throw it on the blog. And then afterwards, I think, oh, I shouldn't have put that in the title. So... <laughs> If a, if a spoiler comes to me and I'm a little bit more relaxed, I've got more time, then I will actually prepare the blog post properly and I'll I'll just do a teaser in the in the title. Because, right. like you say, not everybody wants to know them and I have to keep remembering that because because I do. I, I love spoilers. I love to know what's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, it's really hard to rein it in sometimes. And it is just that enthusiasm for the show, I think, and just that excitement about wanting to know what's coming up. Yeah. And I have to remember that not everybody wants to know um, and so to crouch the spoilers in, yeah, uh, I, I more try, I try deli- not to. delicate terms. I try not to, to read up on things, but it becomes it becomes almost impossible, especially when the show itself seems to play quite fast and loose with its own rules of what it's going to release to the media. You know, it seems that the, the yeah, Corey spoils Corey quite a bit. Yeah, it it does. It's um, it is strange. They, they I think they've got a difficult job to do. Because they they want to keep the audience interested and excited, and yeah. um, you know get get the the buzz around what's going to happen and the hype around storylines. But at the same time, they don't want to give too much away. So it is a very tricky line that they do. But obviously, anything that the show puts out as an official release, then that's in the public domain. Exactly. But it doesn't necessarily mean that people want to know. Um, yeah, it is. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it we really got, is. We got slapped in the wrists. Uh, I think it was last week or the week before. Uh, we have a friend who's been a, a kind of regular listener and a regular uh, viewer of the show for, you know, probably longer than I have. And he, he kind of missed maybe a month or so, so he was a month or so behind, and it was the, the time of the roof collapse. And we knew that the roof was going to collapse. We knew the roof was going to collapse for a month beforehand. And we knew that Rana was going out. So we can kind of put two and two together there a little bit and... And then decide that well, everybody must have come to this conclusion. But he hadn't. <laughs> and so when we're talking about, you know, <laughs> Rana's going to be dying in this, uh, the, the factory, then he, this comes as a bit of a shock to him. And I kind of see his point and I feel kind of bad about it, but it's difficult to to try and draw a line between what's in the public domain, what have the 
actors been saying in interviews and what's Corey been saying about this themselves. So it's a, it's a difficult line to walk. So you have... It certainly is, yeah. So with your, your huge team, uh, you have uh, lots of different opinions. And even though you guys are all fans and people are going to enjoy one storyline and maybe hate another one, what's your relationship like with ITV? And is it something that you think about when you hit the submit button to a new post that's maybe going to be less than totally complimentary? No. Uh, the relationship with ITV is, is really good. And it's it's one that we cultivated over, like I say, 11 years. And we are, uh, we're invited into the press days, so we get to meet the cast and interview them. And I tend not to do that anymore. Um, I did at the start. But what I do now is actually pass those opportunities out to members of the team who want to go in so we can all sort of take turns. Um, and it's especially useful because we've got journalism students on the team, so it's excellent um, experience for them. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so it is. I mean, it really is. It's a dream come true as a fan to be able to go into ITV. And we always we always write the blog posts and the interviews from that point of view. So, again, fans are getting something that they're reading something on the blog that you don't get anywhere else because you're getting the experience of what it's like to be a fan, but to be invited in to ITV to interview the cast who is sitting in front of you. <laughs> so, yeah, so we bring a whole different aspect to it, and we're very grateful to ITV for that. I must say it's, it's, it is an absolute pleasure to do that. Um, with regards to thinking about what we do, um, we if we're not happy with something that's on the programme, and at the minute there's a couple of, kind of little mistakes that have been made that I've picked up on. Yep. Um, I will, yeah, I will say, I will call them out on that because, because I'm, I've got, you know, I'm wearing my Coronation Street anorak and some, <laughs> these Absolutely. things have to be pointed out. You know, they don't have to be pointed out, but it's just, you invest all this time in watching the show. You've grown up with it. It's part of your life. And then for them to change the story, like to forget that Marie has been married or for Kevin to forget that he once had a child, you know, he passed away. This was a few years ago. No. It's it's like, well, how how are we supposed to be investing in a storyline if you keep changing it? And, you know, so, so yes, we do call them out on things that we feel that they're getting wrong. But likewise, if they're doing something that we really enjoy, we'll say that as well. Absolutely. So, and we've got, like I say, 16 different people blogging, 16 different opinions. None, none of us... You know, we, we don't all think the same. Somebody might be enjoying one particular character. Somebody else might not be. Yep. Um, and we can put both of those viewpoints on, on the same day, sometimes even in the same blog post. Um, so it's all there with all kinds of different opinions. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I've got to be honest. Absolutely. That's what it all boils down to. You just have to have that honesty of, you know, if, if I'm going to tell you something's great, then you're going to know that I mean it because if you get something wrong, I'm going to tell you about that as well. You know, it's just yeah. it's just how you approach critiquing. Really, you have to have that honest approach. Otherwise, your your voice becomes you know, less authentic. And exactly, and, and the, yeah. The, the thing with the whole uh, Kirk thing uh, this week, we we touched upon it in the the podcast last night. Was he was on the X Factor, <laughs> and he sang pretty yeah. well. Yeah, and he's kind of, um, and I couldn't remember if that was actually in the show or if, and I remembered it being part of the fiftieth anniversary. But I couldn't remember if it was part of an episode or if it was just like in a silly little special that they'd done. Can you remember what that was all about? Yeah, I did actually blog about it because when I was watching it, I remembered 
he's been on the X Factor before. So <laughs> Googled it and found out where it had been. And you're right, it was part of um, Coronation Street's 50th anniversary. There was a special program. And Kirk being on the X Factor was a sketch within that program. Right. Uh, when he sung beautifully, he sung in Andy Wyman's own voice. And Andy Wyman is a heck of a singer. He's oh, really good. Yeah, he's very good. Um, so it just, it, yeah, so although it wasn't part of the Coronation Street, you know, storyline for, for Kirk it just seems odd that they'd done this kind of cutaway uh, with Kirk on the X Factor then repeated it within the storyline <laughs> himself yes. but having Kirk not able to hold a tune and I just I couldn't understand that so did a blog post and certainly didn't it wasn't a complaint it was just pointing that out just yep. I wasn't you know saying as a fan I wasn't sure what was going on um, and couldn't understand why Kirk couldn't sing this time around when he could <laughs> you know last time he was on the x factor so it's things like that you know we we just if something if we think something needs a little bit more explaining um then we'll do it if we think um you know we, we, we're watching it with, with like i say with our coronation street anoraks on and something it doesn't feel right then we'll blog about it Actually. but equally We'll blog about something that we absolutely love as well. Sure. Yeah. It's just really difficult to take that anarch off sometimes because you're sitting down yeah. watching Maria say that she's not been married. Wait a minute. Yeah. If I, if yeah. I know this I without looking the, it up. Yeah. I think, again, it just it all comes because we, we love the show and we That's care it. about it so much. That's and, exactly. Um, and, you you know... You, we're ask, they're asking us now to sit down six times a week to watch it, and that's a heck of an investment for anybody. Yep. Um, six, you know, six times a week is a lot of lot of television watching uh, in the course of a person's life. So they're asking us to invest, prepared to invest, but please, please get it right. Yeah. yeah. Um, is all we're asking, and uh, yeah, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time they do get it right, and it's absolutely fantastic. But every now and then, it's just a bit of a niggle. <laughs> um, yeah. But, but like I say, the blog is um, its all about opinion and it's all about fans. And if we were to take away those voices, um, then we, we where, where's the fun in that? Where is the, what do we become then? We just become like a news aggregator site pushing out information about the show when you can find that anywhere else. Absolutely. There's all sorts of fan sites, not fan sites, but there's all sorts of news sites doing that. We yep. are the only website that like i said it's unique we're the only ones that give fans a voice to say these things good and bad yeah yep there's an aggregator i think you, you maybe heard of it topicaltalk.co.uk they have a, a coronation street news aggregator which is pretty much just links to your posts <laughs> and a couple of things from the metro yeah, and the mirror and stuff yeah. like that but you know th there's no input to that there's no uh, community around about it it's just no it's just crawls the net and no. just pulls all the core stuff together. So it really doesn't have all that much much value. No offence to them. You mentioned that, that you can yeah. you can post a couple of things on the same day of, of different opinions. And, and I had a little look at March of this year when there were 212 posts posted in the month of March, which works out at pretty much seven a day. That's a absolutely enormous amount of content. And it takes me to update our blog once a month. And I reward myself with biscuits if I manage it twice in a month. I'm interested. <laughs> I'm interested in the mechanics of that. How do you organise your day to accommodate that sort of effort, and and how do you keep track of what's due to land, when, and from whom? 
Okay. Well, we get a lot of information from ITV, so we do get the previews. We're lucky enough to get those, and we get cast interviews as well, so we can always schedule those in. And then it's just a matter of um, if, if any news comes through that catches our eye, and, and not all of it goes on the blogs. If it, some, some of the I think now that the especially tabloids and the news sites are becoming so desperate for the clicks through to their adverts and things like that, you you tend to see a lot of news stories that aren't news at all. They they're just you know these stories that where they they'll have quotes from Twitter users that they've just you know harvested from, from online and they'll put them together in a news article, which doesn't make sense to anyone. Drives um, me crazy. Yeah, we, we never ever do that. Never. Um, the, you know what I always say about the blog is that we do it for the love and we don't do it for the clicks um, so the news stories that are on there are just ones that take our fancy that we like the look of um, or they might be opinion pieces um, or they might be I don't know things that unusual things Coronation Street merchandise that come up for sale on eBay they might be jobs that come through from um, Coronation Street itself I, I usually like to put the jobs on that's available yeah, I've um, noticed that, yeah. Fashion, yeah, I think, you know, the fashions that they wear, the things behind the scenes, and we have competitions to win bits and pieces. There's all sorts of things, really. There's just, it's information that you can't get anywhere else in one place, and we bring it all together on the blog. So we've, there's news items, there's interviews, there's competitions, there's daily pictures, there's clips, you know, you from uh, classic Coronation Street and... Scott uh, does the, the roundup of the week in Classic Coronation Street as well. So we've got that going on as well as current Coronation Street. Yeah, that's good to uh, have. The Coronation Street podcast. Yeah, the, Michael and Gemma from the Conversation Street podcast. That once a week they post um, what's happening on their site. Yep. Um, so it, it's just, yeah, just we just bring it all in. And um, Corypedia are a huge source of information. So, for instance, this week they... they they were celebrating 19 years of the first episode of David, Pla uh, sorry, Jack P. Shepard. Oh, yeah, I saw that, that, yeah. So we did a little blog post around that. So, yeah, little anniversaries and things like that. So the content, uh, it's not planned. Because <laughs> 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 uh, uh, it's, it's, if, I, if I planned it, the blog would be a lot better than it is. But it's, <laughs> it, it, sits, it sits low down on my priorities in my life because, um, that, you know, I've got a life and there's lots of other things going on. Yeah, absolutely. So it's not planned. It's certainly not planned, apart from the weekly previews that come from ITV that are, um, they do have an embargo, so we do have to schedule those. Um, but we, it's just things go on the blog as and when I've got time, as and when uh, we see information and news items that we like, and as and when the other bloggers can... You know, with time as well, there's a lot of them who've got full time jobs and uh, or, or students. Um, I think the only things that kind of are scheduled are the episode reviews. So on a Wednesday night, Ryan Oxley will post his Wednesday night reviews. On a Friday, uh, we've got we've got Richard and Kelly who alternate and do the Friday night reviews, and Monday nights we've got Rachel. Yep. So so everybody kind of jumps in and, and does their thing, um, and I always say to them just there are the only rule about the blog is that there are no rules you just do what you want when you want um and and because if you if it is scheduled and if 
people are kind of forced to write a certain amount of blog posts every day I'm not having any of that because then the fun goes it's, it's always got to be fun and you, you you blog because you want to not because you have to yeah it becomes yeah. a job after that doesn't it yeah yeah and, and and this is absolutely not it's just it's just a resource for fans and I said it's just it's one heck of a resource yeah, for absolutely. fans um yeah and and I, I love it I love I love doing it I love not only do I enjoy writing for the blog, but I love seeing what other people put on there as well. Uh, my husband does a blog post once a week. <laughs> he does the uh, spot the prop, so he'll, he'll take a picture from the week's, um, you know, the week's scenes. Uh, it might be, I don't know, a biscuit tin or, a, I don't know, a picture in someone's house and people have to guess where it is. Um, the thing, just just really silly, you know, fun things that you can't find anywhere else. Um, and, yeah, it's great. I absolutely love doing it, yeah. So turning to your other projects, uh, what got you interested in creative writing? Because you're also you're also a published author, right? Yes, yes, I am. Um, well, I've always loved writing ever since I was little, um, and actually that was one of the main reasons that I set up the blog because I loved Coronation Street and I loved writing. So to bring those two things together, it seemed the sort of natural fit. Um, and that's when I started writing the Coronation Street weekly updates, which goes all around the world world and i started writing those in 1995 when so we're talking about when the internet was a baby <laughs> what was the internet like in yeah, 1995 yeah. i don't think i got online until about 97 95 was all aol yeah, well, bulletin first, boards and stuff wasn't it yeah the wild yeah. west yeah i first got i first got online in 93 and the first two words i ever typed into an internet what well what passed for a browser then it um were, were coronation street <laughs> and there was nothing, absolutely nothing. Obviously, ITV, the big companies weren't online then. Yeah. Um, oh, so crazy. There, were no, there were no fan sites. It was mad. Uh, but what there was, and it was like the Wild West, and it was brilliant. You had this kind of feeling that anything was possible. Um, and what there was for Coronation Street was um, it was the one of the old Usenet group. Google, Google bought it, and now it's Google Groups, and it's still going. There's a group called uh, Rec Arts TV UK Coronation Street. Wow. So I joined this group um, <laughs> and there were people there from overseas. I was like, my word, I didn't know Coronation Street was shown in Canada and Australia and America and South Africa. And there was all of these fans from all over the world. And it was just the most wonderful, wonderful group of people. So there were obviously people there in the UK as well. And uh, we started sort of chatting to each other online and then we wouldn't there were a couple of sort of get-togethers, meetups, and it was it was just amazing. It was a whole new way to make friends, um, and it it kind of grew from there. So somebody in Australia, uh, sorry, in San Diego in America, said, "You guys in the UK sound like you're talking about a storyline that we haven't seen yet." And I said, "Well, where are you up to? What what are you watching?" And she told me, and they were about three months behind or something. Right. So I said, "Well, I'll send you a little update once a week." And so that's how it started, and then from there it just grew and grew, and and we've got it 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 just got enormous. And there's, there's, there are there is still around five thousand people on my Coronation Street Weekly updates mailing list. So these people have been with me kind of you know almost half my life, twenty four years. It's just crazy. And um, you missed like and two months and all yeah. that time. You just missed two months or so. I was looking through the and, and there was a reason for that. Two breaks. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, the um, the break was because um, I went to work for ITV 
for a little while. Oh, excellent. And I was, um, yeah, I was, I was uh, working on the official Coronation Street website for just a short time. And in that time, they asked me not to do the weekly updates. So I, I couldn't do fan stuff and do official stuff at the same time. So right. that's why yep. that had to stop. But um, yeah, so so the, so the, I was doing that. The weekly updates went on and the, it, it kind of spread. ITV got in touch and said, we'd like you to update one of our books, one of our official books. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, so I did that. Uh, and they asked me again to do it to update the same book. So the book was The Coronation Street Saga. Then a small publisher got in touch and asked me to do a book about Roy and Haley, which I did. And then when um, Anne Kirkbride, who played Deidre Barlow, yeah. when she passed away, um, ITV asked me to write the official tribute book to Deidre Barlow, which was a huge oh, privilege. Wow. And, you know, I was, yeah, I was really, really touched about that. So... I, so that was just an amazing thing because I did lots of research um, over a few months, uh, gathered all the pictures together from the archives. It really was, I felt really kind of proud and very moved that they'd asked me to do that. Um, and then since then, I've done a, the official Coronation Street colouring book as well. I had to source <laughs> all of the images and write a little sort of blurb about what was going on in each picture. There's a wonderful colouring book. If anybody hasn't seen it, I mean, they asked me to choose, choose the most iconic images from ITV uh, for, through the whole almost 60 years. So you've got colouring in pictures of things like Mike Baldwin dying in, <laughs> in Ken Barlow's arms. <laughs> you know, Deidre um, getting a Manchester tart thrown in her face and things like that. It's just, it's fantastic. It's a really fun colouring book. Um, and then all the time that I was uh, writing for, for ITV, um, I kept, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, I really want to create my own characters because as much as I loved writing for ITV and about Coronation Street, I was just aware I was retelling someone else's story. Right. And I, I wanted to make my own stories up and, you know, create my own fantastic women. Um, and that didn't mean I wanted to create an, the new Elsie Tanner or the new Hilda Ogden, but I, I wanted to make my own women and my own characters. So I am... Um, I started writing short stories for women's magazines in the UK and they started taking them and um, I was really kind of working on my fiction and storytelling, um, really honing it and, and getting it, getting it, you know, making it as best as I could. And um, one of the women's magazines, which is in the UK, it's the People's Friend magazine yep. and they are the longest running women's magazine in the world. They got in touch and said, look, we really love the stories that you're sending to us. And um, we know about the Coronation Street books that you've written. And how would you like to write our first weekly soap opera for the magazine? Oh, uh, fantastic. I was blown away. So, I, yeah, so I've been doing that for a couple of years now. And I've created this community. So I've created my own characters, uh, my own storylines. It's absolutely not not like Coronation Street at all. It's, you know, it's, it's completely couldn't be more different uh, for a completely different audience. And at the end of every week, I have to leave the reader with a, a cliffhanger. So again, I was kind of honing my skills and uh, my fiction was was getting better. My writing was getting better. I was improving all the time. Yep. And I um, got into, I, that's when I started writing my novels. I got in touch with an agent in London, a uh, literary agent, and she took me on. Uh, I wrote five chapters of 
a novel called Bell in the Backstreets. And before I was even halfway through the book, my agent had three publishers fighting for Bell of the Backstreets. That's incredible. It's it's just blown me away. Wow. Um, so I went with a publisher called Headline in the UK. They're, they're one of the major publishers. And they gave me a three-book deal. Oh, so just I, it's like that. Just, it's just been <laughs> crazy. So I've written um, the three books. And um, I'm still doing the weekly soap opera for the women's magazine. And I'm still doing other little bits of fiction as well. And as well as the blog. So, so I'm out, you're keeping you know, yourself busy. Yeah, but I love it. I just wouldn't have it any other way. I am. Um, it's what I do for my living now. Writing the books is my job. Um, and yeah, so I just have to see what happens next. Yeah, but, it's it's just been fantastic. But you can follow all this back to starting to write a Coronation Street update back in 1995. Yes, that's kind yeah. of the catalyst for the whole thing. That's remarkable. Oh, good yeah. for you. I'm so happy for you. That's fantastic. Thank you very much, Kevin. Yeah, oh. it, it is. It's amazing. I'm about halfway through Help, My Husband's a Hipster collection, your, <laughs> uh, your short story collection. Your stories are very much character-driven and, and dialogue-driven, and these are voices that seem very familiar to you. Are, are these the inspiration for your short fiction, the, the kind of voices that you have in your life or round about you? Yeah. Uh, it's both the inspiration for my short fiction and especially for my novels as well. It's uh, Because I, I grew up in... Um, uh, a, a, a village with a very tight community uh, where people looked out for each other and they, to, an, to a certain extent they still do um, you know so that that's where my kind of novels are set as well yeah. and I think lots of people have said that Bell of the Backstreets has got quite a cinematic feel to it they can see the scenes acting out in front of them and I think that, that probably comes from a lifetime of watching television watch so I know how the scenes are set yeah um, and the dialogue, you know, again, it's that joy of watching really strong dramas on television like Coronation Street, although I have to keep repeating my books are not Coronation Street and sure. it's not, you know, it's completely different, but it's it's the relationships with people, it's the drama, it's build, building the tension up and uh, at the end of every chapter it's giving the reader one heck of a cliffhanger to get them reading, to get them onto the next chapter as quickly as possible and just to get them really involved in the story. Yeah, and I think um, you do and that. more than it's... anything else, it's the... Wi- Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I think you really do that in uh, Bell of the Backstreets. Uh, I'm only a couple of chapters into it, but the setup was, was hugely enjoyable. Um, there's... Uh, there's threat and there's uh, questions that, that happen immediately and there's conversations that happen that are so true to life and I think writing dialogue that is believable and particularly writing dialogue when you're talking about a, an era that's between the world wars, you know, you, you have to be careful because there's, there's certain things that wouldn't have been said at that time, you know, so you, it's already difficult to write dialogue that, that's compelling and interesting but to have that kind of restriction because of the era that it's set just makes it a little bit more difficult but as I'm reading it, it's like, like you said, it was cinematic. I could, I could hear these voices. I could see them. I could see what was going on. It was, it was a really strong opening to the book. I thought. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, and I think again, one of the um, one one of the key things in in all three books is um, is the women, um, and and that does come from my love of Coronation Street because, uh, the the. the there are three different women uh, who are the heroines for each of the stories, and they are just—they're so, so strong, uh, resourceful. Um, I, I, I throw everything at them that I possibly can, 
and they still triumph. Yeah, so to having it, it isn't they, they are matriarchal stories, just the same as soaps are, and uh, it's the joy of the women and the community, and uh, you know, there there is it's the types of characters as well. So you'll have the villain, you'll have the siren, you'll have the old gossip, and so those things are woven in through the book as well. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. What's the reaction been like to the novel? It's been out for a few months now, right? Yeah, it's been very, yeah, really promising, very good. Um, like I said, it's it's been getting lots of excellent reviews online. Yeah, I've seen and, that, yeah. Um, yeah, and the most amazing things have happened. I mean, all school friends have got back into it, which I haven't seen them for like 40 odd years. <laughs> That's um, I I had a book launch in, um, in the pub that uh, is in the book. And, um, and it was standing room only. It was just amazing. I took a box of books to sell, thinking, you know, I might be lucky if I'd sold maybe 10, 12. Yep. You know, but they all went within minutes, and people were disappointed wow. that we'd run out of books. So it was just crazy. Um, the response has been unbelievable, and things are, other, other things are going to be happening because of that book later this year. Um, it's part of heritage days and history days within the village. It's it's all it's all gone a bit mad, and um, I was asked to go into my old junior school to um, give a talk to the children as well, which was just amazing. It's a day I'll never forget. That Incredible. is fantastic. Yeah. yeah, oh, good stuff. Yeah, I, I, my novel came out uh, the tail end of last year, and <clears throat> I wrote that in twenty ten, and my expectations have really changed dramatically. You know. When I wrote it, I expected to be a blockbuster author and I was going to be signing movie deals and all this sort of <laughs> thing. And then eight years later, I'm just happy going to open mics round about Michigan, selling books from the trunk of my car. And that just makes me happy. You know, it's it's funny how yeah. your expectations yeah. kind of change over time. But it sounds like you've got the, you've still got that big time author kind of thing happening. You know, it's, and it's, it's fantastic. It's great that you can have this this story that's been sitting with you for a few years and, and it's now a thing, you know, it's it's got a cover and it's such a beautiful cover and it's so well put yeah, together. It's, yeah, the, the covers are really strong. Oh, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, they're just it's, absolutely on point. It's, it's fantastic. It, thank you. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's amazing and it, that is the, the joy of being with... Um, with being with a major publisher, they they do all of the the sort the covers out and they uh, they help with the publicity and all that sort of thing. So, and I'm very lucky that I've got um an an agent that uh we get along very well and she looks after me and looks after my best interests. So yeah, it's it's all happening and it's just incredible that the, the story because the story is set in the village where I grew up. Um, and I had to do a lot of research because the story set a hundred years ago. Yep. So I thought I knew the place where I grew up and you start doing the research and you realise how much you don't know. But it's just been a learning curve. I find now, I find myself absolutely fascinated with history and heritage projects in my town and in my city in a way that I never was before. I just really wasn't interested before. Things would have, if I'd seen something with history and heritage and the title, I'd, I would have avoided it, but now I just can't get enough of it. I'm a member of the heritage group in the village, and um, you know, it's, I go along to give talks, and you know, I'm terribly shy. I'm not the sort of person that stands up in front of people to give talks. And when I was um, in my working life, I used to work in a university. I would go out of my way not to give talks, and if something 
I actually turned down promotions because I knew I didn't have the confidence to get up in front of people to talk. And that yet here I am and, and I'm doing it and it's still terrifying, but I'm doing it. And yeah. it's just, it's changed me. It's changed me as a person so much. It's unreal. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? It gives you new skills and uh, makes you do things that you don't want to do to take that extra rung on the ladder to go that one more step up and do something that puts you in a position where you may be feeling a little bit uncomfortable but you're going to do it anyway and then the next time it doesn't feel as bad and the time after that it doesn't feel as bad and then like you said it gives you this opens up this whole new part of the world that is now interesting to you and and a new hobby or a new desire and and a new opportunity to learn and and these are all just fantastic things to get and it's all out of writing a book it's just it's just incredible it's a lovely it's a lovely story it really is glenda Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, and like I said, all it all came from that initial, you know, logging on in 1993 onto the internet, and wow. then this lady in San uh, San Diego saying, you know, can you tell me what's happening in the UK? So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 just incredible. That's yeah. California for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for your time, Glenda. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to talk to you, and uh, and yeah, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again sometime. That's wonderful. It's been really lovely chatting to you and all of the very best with your podcast as well. Thank you so much. Well, I thought that was great. Lovely. Lovely stuff. Yeah. She really was the perfect first guest to have. I was so nervous not having done this before, but she's so chatty. It just made my job pretty easy. Oh, that's good. And they were very nice. If you haven't if you haven't seen it, they did a nice interview with us that's on the Coronation Street blog. Yeah, that was last weekend, I think, was it? Something like that. Yeah, it was a few days ago. Yeah. You can find it in the archives. That was good fun. Yes. So, it's 9.20. I'd like to go to bed, please. Shall we wrap this up then? Yes. Okay, if you want to write to us to explain how there isn't a Polish tradition to schedule a marriage, a death by cattle truck and a funeral in one day, here's how you can do so. On email and Skype, we are thetalkofthestreet at gmail.com. On Twitter and Facebook, we are at Corey Podcast. And don't forget our forgotten blog, thetalkofthestreetpodcast.wordpress.com. Extra thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.